Hey everyone, big news, cool news. Take advantage of what I'm about to say. L Acoustics is offering four training certification grants for the second year in a row now, and everyone knows they have great sounding rigs. They've revolutionized pro audio with their line source systems, and now it's your big chance to take advantage of our partnership. So they're giving away four certification grants so you can get credentialed on their unbelievable gear. And one of the things about L Acoustics is they've been committed to using the scientific method from the get-go to shape their innovations. So don't miss this. For more information, go to soundgirls.org and type in grant in the search bar. All the details about who's eligible are there. You're listening to the Soundgirls podcast. This episode is part of an ongoing series with the Living History Project. The Soundgirls Living History Project is a collection of interviews with audio industry veterans. The project seeks to highlight the careers and achievements of women and underrepresented groups in audio. Interviews are conducted by Soundgirls members with guidance from experienced interviewers in the audio industry. The oral history interviews are typically unedited and will be archived in their original form. The Soundgirls podcast is sponsored by QSC. Thankfully, I had a, a best friend who was just as passionate about it, too. So, And she got a car when she was 16. All she's right. older than me. So, <laughs> so we could actually drive up to the Sunset Strip and we could drive to concerts. And, um, and oh, that, cool. that was very, very cool. So we saw some great shows back then. And so it was a combination. It was my passion for music, but also... Um, learning how to, uh, you know, my, my technical engineering aptitude. Yeah. Uh, so, so I signed up for the class and um, 50 guys and me, and they're just talking about audio. And um, I have no idea what they're talking about. Amplitude, velocity, um, Doppler effect, uh, yeah. Uh, complex waveforms, um, compression, limiting. Um, it sounded like Chinese to me. Yeah. And they were demonstrating it. And they were just, the instructor was just talking about it. And I'm in this room full of guys who are going, yeah, yeah. You know, and they're already playing guitars and roadies and d- working with different people. And Oh, yeah. And I panicked. Blank face. Uh. <laughs> I just panicked, and uh, I said, "Oh no, I've made a terrible mistake here. I've I've dropped out of college, mm. and I've signed up for this, and I haven't a clue what I'm getting into here." Yeah. And literally panicked. And after the class, I got on a payphone and and called Roger over at Leon's. and was oh no I don't know I just started class and they were talking about this and this and I I don't I've done the wrong thing I don't know what to do blah blah and he goes come over so the next day I went over because I was no longer in university which I went to Tuesdays and Thursdays because I worked Mm -hmm. Monday Wednesday Friday and Saturday and um uh Roger sat, sat me down and he showed me a LA-2A compressor and he said, this is a compressor and this is what it does and this is what it sounds like. Yeah. Um, and he played some music and he ran it through the compressor and 
And so I got to hear what that was doing. And this is limiting. And this is what a limiter does. And this is what an equalizer does. And you get to play with this. So, so. Wow. I was very, yes. So, so what happened then from then on, I went to the recording school on Monday and Wednesday nights. And then Tuesdays and Thursdays, I would go to Leon's house. And Roger would let me practice or teach me um, what uh, what I'd learned in class the night before. I actually got to put it to the test. And um, so that was an enormous help, obviously. And I just have to say a little bit about Roger. Uh, Roger was... Uh, about 18 at the time and um i guess we're about the same age and he was working on his little invention while he was doing this that's what he calls it his little invention but his name was roger lynn and he built the lindrum oh yeah yeah he invented the first drum sampling machine oh awesome which changed recording he it was patented and all of that before he was 21. Oh, wow. That's yeah. Good and yeah. Uh, so this is who taught me. Yeah. As well as the school. Learning and from the best. <laughs> yes. And he, you know, in my boyfriend's band, you know, he was the guitar player in my boyfriend's band. Roger will say, no, Rob, Robert Flashman was my boyfriend who went on to be the lead singer Journey. Oh, yeah. Before, before mm-hmm. Steve Perry and wrote several of their songs and had a so went on its own and um you know still making music and art and all of that we're still good friends but um many many years ago anyway uh so i could practice with his band too Mm -hmm. and um and that helped a lot also another cool thing about this school was that because back then they didn't have brick and mortar schools that had uh, recording studios built for the school for the students to learn or anything like that we didn't this school didn't have anything like that so our labs were in actual studios and being in hollywood um you know i'd have three weeks of lecture and then three weeks of lab in a studio three weeks of lecture and three weeks of lab and it went on for like nine months but um, the labs were at like Capitol. Oh, wow. And Conway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those were our two labs awesome. places. Yeah. So I got to actually learn in a real live, you know, studio, not one built for a school. Yeah. And that, I think, was a really good thing, too. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So I had a, uh, there were a lot of, uh, the, the universe was very supportive of me doing <laughs> this apparently. Um, and because I was just, once I had that epiphany, there was no stopping me. No. Um, because, uh, and this is what I like to tell my, my students um, or anybody is that um, I didn't need anybody to tell me no. I needed them to tell me how. Yeah. 
And that's just how I felt. And if somebody would come up with, well, there aren't enough jobs and girls don't do this or, you know, something stupid like that. Somebody was doing this. This is how I felt. Somebody does this. Somebody makes records. I, before that, I didn't know people made, I didn't know the process for some reason. I don't know why I didn't know, but I didn't, I didn't know you could do that. Hadn't thought about it until it was presented to me. And then that's all I wanted to do. And so, uh, you know, people just kind of got out of my way. And... <laughs> yes, they should. <laughs> yeah, well, well, I guess I was kind of insufferable in, in that respect. Every chance I had to go to a recording studio, I did. Every chance, you know, and um, yeah. I graduated from... You got noticed as well, just you being eager to learn. I mean, that's also something which goes on until far, far in the future. If you are eager to learn, doors will open. Oh, if yeah. Nice Absolutely. Doors will open. If you want to fight for it, doors will mm-hmm. open. Yeah. When people know you're, you're sincere and, and mean it um, uh, and not just messing around, um, then, then things happen for you. Of course. Um, and, and then you have to be accountable. Yeah. So make yeah. sure, <laughs> oh, yeah. make sure yeah. you've got uh, that thing that you get yourself into. Um, yeah. Hopefully you, you can do that thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, because now you're going to be expected to. Do so, yeah. <laughs> yes, right. So you have to be hold it you know, accountable. <laughs> yeah, you have to be accountable, and yeah, and um, yeah, and you know, it's a little different as people find out. Going to school is great training, and but the most important thing I learned from that was how much I didn't know once I got my first job um, right. at the village. Uh, studios back then it was called the village recorders so after i graduated i applied to two places and um wally hiders was the studio the first one i uh, interviewed at and then the village studios oh that's cool so i got the job as an assistant at the village and uh what was very very cool about that there you go. There it is. 1616 Butler Avenue. <laughs> I, so um, cool. Yeah. My very formative years for me uh, spent there. And um, uh, they uh, had hired one other girl assistant. And the day I was hired, uh, I was hired along with another girl assistant and then two months later another one was hired so there were four women assistants there Uh, there were a total of six assistants so two guys and four girls and one of the guys I was in my class at the sound masters uh, Aranon Rojas who ended up working with um, Fleetwood Mac a lot but but he got a job there too so that was fun having him there uh, yeah. He's from Chile and he's back in Chile, but uh, we're still in contact. And he, oh, wonderful guy. Great. So, um, 
And yeah, there were four the women there and that had never happened before or I don't know if it's happened since. The village has always been very supportive of women and uh, a lot of other studios are too. Um, yeah. I just know that I that, that was- That time was quite unique, yeah. I think. Yeah, because this was in the 90, 76? It was 76. I was there from 76 through 79. Um, and, um, but so I, cool. the reason I wanted to get a job there, my goal as an engineer was, um, I wanted to work with the best musicians, um, uh, in the best studio with the best producers and the best engineers on the best music. Wow. Yeah. That, and a lot of people don't think like that or that wasn't a priority for them. So they wanted to engineer sooner or whatever. And I knew that by assisting at a big studio like that, I probably wouldn't be engineering as fast as some of my colleagues mm -hmm. who weren't working at those places. They were probably getting jobs, uh, you know, at a console and engineering before mm -hmm. that. But, um, maybe not at, at the level that I was aspiring to. Yeah. Um, and and it, it's a wonderful, wonderful place also. I mean, yes, it's, it's just yeah. gorgeous. Studio D, that was being built while I was there. When I first started, that didn't exist. Oh, wow. That wasn't built yet, but um, wow. they were, they started in on that while I was there and I did get to work there and I've gotten to work there a few times since too. Oh, that's so cool. That's yeah. so cool. Yes. We um, also have very happy ballroom from Studio D, which also Yes. Yep. And see see look at on the, the side there. There's a, a little BBC Neve sidecar. Those are quite wonderful. <laughs> Oh, wow. On the far right in this photo, those, uh, um, when I did live sound, I did one gig of live sound, well, with this one artist, I, for a couple of years, I was his personal um, sound person, and he was a very eclectic musician named Sandy Bull, B-U-L-L, -L, and he would have all of these midied uh, instruments on stage and would play along and he uh, back in the 60s he was very popular in the avant-garde world and was friends with you know um, John Lennon and uh, all sorts of jazz uh, people but um, he had his own notoriety in yeah. kind of like the folk jazz era and um, uh, I didn't really know who he was, but um, somebody turned me on to him early, um, early 90s, I think it was, yeah, yeah. something like that. Um, and uh, he needed somebody to be his life sound person. And uh, it turns out that I would be on stage with him and that Neve sidecar, that BBC Neve sidecar, that was the instrument I played. 
Oh, wow. So he would be a solo artist with all of these MIDI instruments and he would play the sarod and the oud and the banjo and the, you know, a Stratocaster and an acoustic guitar. He'd play all these stringed instruments and um, with these MIDI synthesizers that I would have to set up whatever our gig was with, um, I had a, a roadie with yeah. me. And, yeah. uh, but we'd have to haul that BBC um, sidecar, that Neve console, which is, oh, wow. if you can find one now, you're lucky. Yeah. Uh, they, they are <laughs> beloved and they are uh, expensive and they're really heavy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we'd have to take all the modules out of it and, and whatever city we went to um i would hire i would look and find two guys on a corner <laughs> and have them haul it out of the truck and carry it up the stairs or wherever it had to be yeah. and uh and then when we would leave i'd have to find somebody to do that <laughs> to so, it, yeah. yeah but i that was when i saw that i'm I'm sorry, I kind of, you know, got off. No, 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 I, I love those stories. I just love them. <laughs> I mean, this is something that you don't hear every day. So I love it. <laughs> yeah, it was it was great to do live sound. There was no automation and there was um, no... Uh, uh, you have to well, memorize I had, what I you had, had to do. For each song, I had a five by seven, um, you know, card uh like in a notebook thing with rings on it and um whatever song he um uh, sandy decided he wanted to play because he would kind of have a set list but if he didn't feel like playing it he <laughs> oh he didn't God. he played whatever he felt like playing oh, and wow. other people you know depending on the city um you know it was kind of artsy fartsy so we'd be in santa fe and we'd be in uh, up in Berkeley and we'd be in Santa Barbara and we'd, we'd play in, um, you know, uh, museums and colleges and, and uh, uh, yeah, uh, San Francisco, we played a lot. Yeah. And, uh, so we were driving all over. And um, uh, so he, different people, he played the troubadour here in LA, yeah, yeah. which is a, mm -hmm very popular and, and uh, different people got up and played with him who yeah. he had a huge following I had no idea um, <laughs> very underground following and uh, so uh, he would play and I would be on the side on stage with him and and my roadie would be in the back and he, he had our little hand signals bring up the bass bring down the you know and so I would just you know adjust the levels and mix um and he would let me know what the balance was like because oh, every hall is different as so yeah, whatever it was the night before had nothing to do with how it was going to be tonight as everybody oh, finds wow. out and it's a you know it was a real performance yeah for me as well as for sandy and um uh so i did that for a couple years until it was like well i don't I've done this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I know what this is like. <laughs> oh wow. Oh, but I can imagine. I mean, that's also really fun to do and it, also it was. really hectic. I mean, you have to switch really easily. 
if, if it's a different song or you have to memorize how, <laughs> which yeah. card to use and, oh, wow. Yeah, well, and also you learn a lot about being on the road and yeah. being with yeah. the, somebody else. And, and here's a very, very important piece of information all people going on the road should know. Uh, when you get paid at the end of the night, count the money in front of the person that gave you the money. Mm -hmm. And this is not uh, bad form. It's absolutely the appropriate thing to do because um, one of those nights I got paid and went back to my hotel room and counted and I was a couple hundred dollars short. Oh no. And I went back to the person who paid me and I said, uh, I got shorted here. And he goes, Well, that's your word against mine, isn't it? Oh wow. Yep, that's how it goes. So always, <laughs> always when somebody pays you, especially cash, yeah, count it right there in front of them, and that's just good form for both of you. So yeah. Sharing exactly. that, those yep. are, you know, there's a lot of stuff you learn on the road and it's not yep. all technical. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It is, it is. You you yeah. fall and get up and then it's like, okay, this is mm -hmm. one new thing we learned for yeah. the rest. <laughs> yes, what is the <laughs> lesson here? Anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. So at yeah. the village, in which studio did you record? Where, where did you learn the most in which studio from the village um you know it's interesting i started out mostly working in studio b uh, yeah. which was in those days um pretty much a mirror of studio a okay um and so in in the back of the studio was studio a so you um the actual yeah okay that's a and um, see the control room there well, and see, see, um, let me see, where was it? Um, to just to the, the left, uh, see uh, where the wood area is there, not the curtains. There was a window there. And oh. then there was an identical space as what we're looking at of the studio here and the control room for B um, mm -hmm. was on the near side of yeah. um, the room. So uh, the control room there in the back of Studio A, we're looking at it at the back. Well, when you um, walked into the front door of the village to go to Studio A, you went straight and walked down this hallway all the way to the end. Well, to go to the control room Studio B, you turned left and and it was right there now if you go into the village there's a hallway and it goes into the lobby of and heads towards um the stairway and then heads towards studio d oh, yeah. uh, but in when i was there there were only three studios a b and upstairs studio c which robbie robertson has four walled for many years um 
but uh, at the time that was a, a smaller little studio with a quad eight board in it. But um, so they were pretty much identical. And the point of that was if they wanted a larger session, maybe even a scoring date, they could pull, they could open up the windows or they could, um, the, they could use both rooms for, for each control room, depending on where the session was being held, if they wanted. Um, I never saw that happen. Oh, uh, yeah, that's too bad. <laughs> where they, yeah, I know where they, but uh, uh, that was the, the concept of building the rooms the way they were. And so the um, control rooms were, were pretty much the same, had a lot of the same equipment in it. And the tape machines would go from room to room, depending on um, what the engineer or the the needs were for the session um yeah. uh, so i started out in studio b a lot and i was working uh, with a group called the band mm -hmm. um they had done the last waltz concert that was their final farewell concert and they had done some studio recording that if you see the movie, The Last Waltz, uh, Scorsese's movie, um, you'll see some studio sessions and songs. And so they were recording and working on those and mixing those uh, in Studio B. So I worked on that. And I worked with uh, several artists, mostly in Studio B. And then, um, uh, then when Steely Dan was coming in, and oh, yeah. kind of fought for that and oh yeah um, it's so gorgeous i have to show you something because yeah. oh there it is there it is and what was so cool i have a screenshot of it but what i was so happy that i can share let me look for it in between uh, where is it let me see um let me quickly find it because I have your name in the Yay. in the LP. Here it is. Yep. Um, yeah, I was the main one. Ken Klinger. I can tell you who these people were. Uh, Ken Klinger was a maintenance guy at the village. Um, Ron Pangaliman was uh, the band's personal uh, assistant. Mm -hmm. And um, Linda Tyler uh, and Ed Rack and Joe Bellamy, they, uh, uh, some of this was done at um, a studio. There was a little bit of it done at a studio called um, Amigo, which is now called Boulevard. Not much of it was the uh, in, and some of it was done in New York at A and R Studios. Okay. Or, uh, it should say where it is: A and R Studios, New York. Okay, Village Recorders, West LA Producers Workshop, Producers Workshop. Some was in Warner Brothers. Some was. Uh, 
So it was ABC, standard some of them at ABC, but um, the big, big majority of um, the recording, mostly the overdubs, because the guys mm -hmm. lived in LA yeah. and uh, they lived in Malibu. So the um, the vocals and a lot of background vocals and guitars and you know most of the stuff was done uh, at the village and um, including some of the tracking. Now um, uh, we did do one mix off of this of Peg and uh, but Al Schmidt will say no he he mixed <laughs> Peg at uh, in New York so. Um, I wasn't aware of that till just recently. I thought that really? the mix that we did was the one that went to the record. And in actual fact, um, neither one of us knows. Um, oh, okay. Which one got on? <laughs> yeah. I don't oh, know wow. which one did. I mean, whatever one did, did. But I, I always thought it was the one we did because they were under such... Oh, they were way over budget and had gone way too long and all of that. And um, we had to replace uh, for months on this one song, Peg. Yeah. Uh, there had been um, a Lyricon solo. Lyricon is like an electric, a synthesized mm -hmm. um, woodwind instrument that Tom Scott had performed. And at the last minute, Warner Brothers said, and we want a guitar part on that, which the band wasn't really excited about, but they conceded. And so they did six, seven, maybe eight different guitar players until they ran out of people to use. And Roger suggested, um, Jay Graydon, who did the solo on it. And, and I have to say, um, they didn't like the solo. They didn't like it. They didn't like having to do it anyway. So mm -hmm. I felt bad for anybody who came in there because they, they didn't like it. And back in those days, it was to tape. So mm -hmm. a lot of them, you know, got erased. Yeah. I don't know if there are any of the other ones that are still on it. There's a documentary on the recording of of Asia and oh, really? my memory of some of those things is different. I'm not on that thing. I'm not on the documentary and um, but I certainly have very distinct memories of yeah. <laughs> what went down there on yeah. a lot of cases. And um, uh, however, that solo is iconic and works perfectly and it's like nothing anybody had ever done and um and it worked out but yeah. they were so um behind schedule that's that we had the mix peg and worked way in till the you know i think the sun was coming up by the time we finished oh. mm -hmm. um which was not how they worked at all. No. And uh, uh, so I just assumed that was the mix that went to the record. Now it just came up, like I said, that Al yeah. Schmidt had said, no, I mixed that. And I went, oh, okay. <laughs> well, 
Okay. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever you say. Yeah, and and sadly, Roger Nichols isn't here, and and um, to clarify anything, and uh, I, uh, their producer um, is still around, so um, oh, we could ask him. Yeah. But, uh, clarify it. Yeah, I just happened. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, because I then I kind of forgot about it. But um, yeah. uh, anyway, how, how was it to work with uh, Roger Nichols? He was fantastic. Um, told the corniest jokes, but uh, <laughs> but that's not unusual for technical types. I've yeah. Worked. Uh, however, he was so supportive of me and, um, uh, because he could tell I was, you know, totally into it, uh, and very, uh, there, uh, he, he was so brilliant yet he was very passionate about so many different things mm. and, um, whether it was sound engineering or scuba diving or racing his cars or they, he had a lot of the hobbies that he did i guess he surfed as well on wow. uh, different things but he was just passionate he lived out in malibu and he was like the ultimate california guy yeah but brilliant and he had been um uh, uh um he'd been in nuclear physicist down in San Onofre for a while. I mean, that's how smart he was, even oh, at this young age. And he wanted to make records that didn't have clicks and pops and things in them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he went to high school and hung out with Frank Zappa. Oh, wow. And I can't imagine you two can't different beat that. people. <laughs> when I first heard that, I just went, what? what? I worked on some of uh, Frank's records, two records were done at the village. And so I worked on both of those. Um, wow. Joe's Garage and Shake Your Booty. I wasn't the main assistant, but I would spell her because Frank worked from 10 p.m. till 6 a.m. Oh, wow. Yeah. And um, anyway, uh, but back to Roger, you know, th in retrospect, thinking about how Frank was so such a perfectionist and Roger was that I can see where in high school, after school, it would make sense for them yeah. to kind of be together and hang out. They were uh, both these brilliant, brilliant guys. But Roger, what was so cool about Roger was he was a great communicator. He would take any concept that a lot of people would try to dazzle you with their expertise and their vocabulary and their way of describing it to let you know how sh smart they were, mm. uh, but not really communicate. You yeah. know, if I had a question or something I didn't understand, Roger would always tell me or anybody and he would explain it in such a way that it was so easy to grasp. And you'd get it because that was the important thing. It wasn't about how smart he was. It was him wanting you to understand it. And yeah. he was 
he was such a good teacher. If uh, you've seen any of his footage of any lectures or anything, you you see and hear that. However, he was he was kind of strict. You know, you didn't ask him anything twice, really. Mm, no, no. You he... know, uh, he'd say, "I already told you that," yeah. or "Go look it up," or yeah. "Read." Did you read the directions? Yeah. <laughs> Did you read the manual? Yeah. Go read the manual. You yeah. know. Um, yeah. All stuff no, that that's, was that's right. also good because that also keeps you. You don't take things for granted. No, you, you not at all. Try um, to suck it up and, uh, and and learn from it. Yeah. Well, and yet he was so generous with his knowledge and why he would do things a certain way. And he didn't complicate anything. Those records are, are sound like they do because they're very simply mm -hmm. recorded, very directly recorded. Um, and the minutia of good recording, he really impressed upon me. Things like, you know, using the the shortest mic cable that works mm. um, and then not letting the mic cables touch yeah. and little things like that um, yeah. were the things that he shared because those are, you know, all those things add up yeah. after a while. Yeah. And I still use a lot of the techniques that he shared with me mm. And it kind of made it difficult for me to engineer with other people who weren't so mindful. Yeah. And uh, they'd say, ah, nobody's gonna hear that. Ah, nobody's yeah. gonna hear that. And be like, I'm gonna hear it. Exactly. I will because always you know hear the that. difference. You hear yeah. the difference because you learned it. So you're- Yeah. And, um, and so, um, yeah, Roger was fantastic and um, and very kind and fun, um, and yet he could tolerate Donald and Walter, and and um, which was challenging. You know, mm -hmm. they often recorded, you know, note by note. Oh wow! Somebody, yeah, it was. There's a reason yeah. those records sound like they do. But, yeah, um, yeah but they, they sound amazing. They just sound amazing. It's the, the, the full spectrum. You can hear everything. Everything yeah. has function. Everything mm -hmm. is thought about. It works. I love it. I grew up with them. So I oh yeah, good bring back good memories. <laughs> oh, good. I got to work on um, Gaucho as well for a while. Uh, and I have to say, I, I quit. Oh. because I had already done 10 and a half months oh, wow. on Asia yeah. and I even though I knew it would take me longer to um, you know get out on my own and be a head engineer mm -hmm. I was seeing my colleagues you know rising yeah, up and leaving the nest and and um by that time that Gaucho came along, I, I kind of felt like I had gotten as much as I could get. And, and it was a dark time for them. 
it wasn't mm. a fun time for them. And um, another band was coming in that had been a big influence on me um, called Super Tramp. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I had heard while I was in college, their record, Crime of the Century, recorded by Ken Scott, I heard that record and I said out loud without ever being in a recording studio, um, I want to make records that sound like this. Oh, yeah. And little did I know that uh, (laughs) um, that would be my path. And they're just the quality of that recording was amazing. All um, made me want to do that, to be an engineer. And then I found out they were coming in. Yep, Breakfast in America. There it is. There it is, yes. Such um, an incredible album as well. Yes, uh, I'm very proud of that record, what I got to do. And um, uh, Pete Henderson was also very generous. with his expertise. He was uh, the engineer producer. He co-produced with the band on, on the record. Uh, he had been like the protege of um, Jeff Emmerich and George Martin. He'd worked at Air Studios. So um, he was only 23 and I was the ripe old age of, I think, 26. Yeah. And I was, 25 or 26 when I started working on that I was the older woman (laughs) (laughs) the older woman (laughs) badass woman (laughs) yeah right right Uh, assistant but yeah there it is um yeah and Jeff was uh again he was the the tech um at the village yeah and kept everything running and so we were we worked together on that. Jeff's a wonderful guy as well. But wow. um, sadly, they um, weren't able to mix at the village. And so I wasn't allowed to be a part of the mix. I worked with them for seven and a half months oh. on recording this. It's also I- a shame if you work so long, it, it becomes your baby. And then yes. you, you don't see what, what happens to it. It was heartbreaking. Done, of course, but yeah. And I would have had to, they tried to get me to come along to say, you know, they needed me because I knew where everything was, but I would have lost my job at the village. Oh, wow. And, yeah. um, and going to Crystal and Crystal, you know, there's stories about how um, convoluted the, the, mixing process was because of how it um they had two 24 track tape machines the band you know synced up and and it was a very complicated mixing yeah experience and um so it was a it was kind of really heartbreaking i was just devastated when they found that they couldn't mix at the village they weren't what they were taking out in their mixes wasn't what they thought they were getting and mm-hmm. I don't know uh how they found crystal um 
But anyway, they checked out a few studios. I did get to sing background vocals on one of the songs on the record yeah. that I don't have credit for. And I also got to scream and yell and sing on another song, Nervous Wreck. And then on a song, Goodbye Stranger, I'm doing finger pop. So I, I'm actually oh, performing. That's so awesome. <laughs> oh, but that's so cool because then you... you add even more to to the songs and mm -hmm. becomes even more a legacy <laughs> yeah yeah that was that was fun that was fun um great guys but when i heard that there was album was coming that super trap was coming to the village i went to the studio manager and i said i need to work on this record they are the reason you know, I wanted to be a sound engineer and I explained, you know, that when I heard Crime of the Century and and what an influence it had on me and I was familiar with all their music and, and um, more so than anybody else um, there. And, um, and the studio manager said, well, that's really great that um, they, but they don't want a girl. Mm. And it's just like, Ur! What? I had never heard that before. Oh, it was God. like, you know, that needle scratch that you yeah. hear on records. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was just stunned. I yeah. I had never even yeah. thought about that. And, uh, and I was just kind of blown away. And I said, well, I can't, I can't change that. I can't do anything about me being a girl, but I know I'm the best one to work on this record. Yeah, exactly. And, hey, and <laughs> so, um, you know, that, that has, I really want that to change and don't, you know, yeah. please make that change if you can and goes, well, sorry, we're not, that's not going to happen. Mm. Oh, I was so upset. And I kept thinking that's, this is just wrong. This is just wrong. I'm supposed to be the one who's working on this. And, and they weren't coming in for, you know, a few weeks. And I kept writing them on it and the studio. And, and uh, uh, then it came to the Friday night. They were supposed to start on a Sunday. And that Friday night, I just, Friday, I just gave up. And I was mm -hmm. so mad. And um, my boyfriend and I went to this sushi bar and drank a lot of <laughs> Mai Tais and yeah. I got real drunk and <laughs> was mad and yeah. uh, he drove me home and I you know passed out in my bed and then at 10 o'clock the phone rings and uh, you know I wake up from my drunken stupor and the, the booking person from the village is on the phone and she says, be in studio B at noon on Sunday. You're working with Supertramp. And so, so suddenly I'm sober, you know. Oh, yeah. So sober. Yeah. And I said, what happened? Oh, wow. And she said, well, the one guy who was available didn't want to do it because it would be too long in the studio. What? So you're, you're the one. Man, I was just so blown away. I yeah. I really thought there wasn't a chance I would yeah. be able to work on it. I just totally given up. But that's up. also a tough start. 
I mean, yeah. Well, so thing to start in, <laughs> and um, they were not made aware that they were having a girl mm-hmm. there. And so I walked in at noon, and uh, the person at the console who was like their sixth member of the band, his name was Russell Pope, and he kind of oversaw things. He was kind of like their ears. He was he was just a magical member of, of the band who did the sound. He did live sound for them on the road, oh, wow. all sorts of things. But uh, he's sitting at the console and and he just kind of turns his head and looks at me and goes, may I help you? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, actually, the question is, may I help you? I'm Lenny Spent, and I'm going to be assisting on your project. And big eyes. Oh, wow. Got the big eyes. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but once he got um, over the shock of that, and I said, where would you like me to start? Where can I be of help? And, uh, you know, they were bringing in the drums. and um, But they were moving in. They brought in you know carpets and lamps and plants and paintings and as well as instruments and um because they were going to be there for you know over six months so um anyway uh once they got over the shock everything was fine i think they would you know in retrospect they would probably been asked do you mind if a you know, would you prefer a guy over a girl or whatever? Because they could provide both, and they probably just said, eh, I don't know, a guy. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they really had anything up against women at all. Yeah. Um, but I didn't know that till I was, you know, when I was told that they didn't want a girl, I was. I couldn't well, it believe it. your heart, of course. I mean, you just. Well, it broke my heart, but I couldn't understand yeah, what, what this. What's... I've never understood why gender would have anything to, to do with somebody for the job that I needed to do, uh, that I needed to be good at. Exactly. Being good at that job. Uh, was much more important than what my gender was. And in the past, that had never been an issue with any of us. Mm -hmm. I'd been removed from one session because the producer who was a loud, bombastic, very crass person said to the studio manager, he wanted a guy because I inhibited his barroom banter, quote unquote. And, um, okay. you know, his ability to cuss in front of me, which is kind of stupid, you know. Uh, but he wasn't a very nice person anyway, so I didn't mind. I didn't, it, it wasn't a session that I wanted to be on. What I have learned and found in my experience is that the better the musicianship, the, the integrity of the recording session really did not care what my gender was. They needed me to do a job well. Exactly. That's what they needed from me. Yeah. Yeah. That's what they needed. And um, uh, if I could bring anything else, that was great. But um, uh, most people found that having um, a little estrogen mixed with all the testosterone 
was a nice balancing factor. Mm -hmm. yeah. I was uh, early on, there was this uh, wonderful bunch of people. Uh, Norman Whitfield was a, a fantastic producer who did a lot of uh, R&B and soul music. And uh, the first week I was there, I got to assist and sit in on the recording for the original movie Car Wash, which was, oh, okay. uh, yeah, the original Car Wash with um, George Carlin, a bunch of people. And the band was the Undisputed Truth. And Rose Royce was the lead singer, which is Chaka Khan's, um, uh, well, Rose Royce was the name of the band and, and Taka Boom was the lead singer and that's Chaka Khan's sister. And um, uh, so they would always, uh, there were a lot of um, black sessions and R&B sessions, and I uh, assisted on a lot of those. And they always had a bunch of people in the control room and, and they were partying and having a good time and the songs were lots of fun. And um, uh, on one occasion, um, the singer had to do the lead vocals and it was kind of a, a love song or that sort of song and, and they said, well, he goes, I need somebody to sing to. I need somebody to sing to. And so they said, well, send Lanise out there. And, um, <laughs> and so, so I went out there and, um, uh, and I sat there and in a chair and he sang to me and I, you know, I did all of this and, you know, I was producing his vocal. Oh, yeah. And I know that there are some people who um today would look at that and go, oh, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. isn't that an awful thing to do? Heck no. Well, there was nothing wrong with that. Are you kidding? You got, you do whatever it takes within. To get the performance to, right. To get that baby bathed, as yeah. they say, to get that performance. And if it's to be somebody that somebody sings to, and everybody had a blast. They all had fun. I got into it. It was, there was nothing degrading no. about it to me at all. I knew that it would make a positive difference in the vocal. Yeah. And it was just fun. And, um, you know, that's those sort of things you have to, that has to kind of be okay. Yeah. Um, he was not, there was nothing degrading about it. No. Uh, even though some people today would say, oh, you know, yeah. how could you but do I that? Think that? Also, so to get a, a performance, sometimes mm -hmm. you just need that little extra that someone can really perform and say, okay, I, I can give it my all. Yeah. And well, and that's, you know, one of the advantages of being a girl in that situation. Right then, um, that was a really good thing place for me to be yeah and uh um i enjoyed it yeah i can imagine it. this is a memory that no one is everyone will have that memory listening yeah. to that song <laughs> yeah yeah and um, cool. um yeah it was a lot of fun and um you know back then a lot of stuff went on in, in the studio and all but i have to say that it was very very rare that I had any issues because I knew 
I had to present myself in a certain way to let them know that I meant what I was doing. And mm -hmm. all of us girls did. Um, yeah. You know, uh, there were some incidences where, um, well, I knew I could never sleep with anybody that I worked with. I just never would do that mm -hmm. um, because I knew that uh, that would just totally blow the integrity and yep. that uh, I needed to have as an engineer and someday producer. Yeah. Um, and so there were yeah. some guys who just couldn't believe that I could resist them. <laughs> and so they would say, oh, she's a dyke. They called me the dyke oh, yeah. there for a while <laughs> because I wouldn't sleep with anybody. And it, you know, <laughs> which was like, uh, no. And I had a boyfriend, um, yeah. you know, yeah. which was, um, that, I guess that didn't mean anything, but they no. could um, not, it, this, again, these were isolated incidences. This mm -hmm. didn't come up, but this one particular group was in there, and, <laughs> um, not naming names. And uh, they, because I could resist their, you know, their advances. Yes. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Then, you know, there was, it never occurred to them that I didn't find them attractive at <laughs> all. That never entered their minds. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, it, was, yeah. it was very easy to turn them down yeah. for any reason in my book. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. But, um, you know, the, so, hey, get the dike in here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and wow. I, yeah. yeah. And sometimes you just have to, okay, yeah throw it off your shoulder and okay mm -hmm. yeah whatever many, yeah many things to learn you got to know how to hang and then you got to see where your lessons are and yeah. um and then also, also choose your battle what are yeah, you and, what, yeah and if you know every every session was a learning experience whether it was a new mic technique or a new um how to work at key packs and how to do phasing or something or somebody treated you terribly and you just mm. you know I will you know putting my own toolbox together the thing that would go in the toolbox for that was I will never treat anybody like I've been treated just now yeah yeah and um yeah uh, hard way to learn uh, stuff yeah yeah there were there were those lessons here yeah. and there yeah. um not a lot but but they did exist once in a while and and those people you couldn't take it personally and you had to take um you had to keep your eye on the prize i knew yeah. what the my long-term goal was and i would thank you for listening like to the sound girls podcast sponsored by qsc join us next week on itunes spotify amazon google or wherever you find your podcasts. For more information, check out our website at soundgirls.org. Looking for more audio-related podcasts? Check out our friends at the Audio Podcast Alliance. To see all of the other podcasts in the Alliance, make sure to visit audiopodcast.org.